Hello and welcome to another episode of the Wisdom of Friends podcast. Thank Thank you for tuning in. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. This is a podcast where you get to learn more about your friends and community, their wisdom, their trials and tribulations, timeless insights and their secrets. Now, let's get into the show. Please welcome your host, Cal Aras. Hello, uh, friends. Uh, welcome to another episode of Season 7 of Wisdom of Friends. I'm your host, Cal Ross. And today I'm really excited and delighted to be introducing you to a good friend of mine. His name is Gary Schmidt. Gary is the Director of Public and Government Affairs for Clackamas County in Oregon. He previously worked for Oregon United States Senators Mark Hatfield and Gordon Smith as a field representative, a speechwriter, and a constituent services coordinator. Gary has been a Toastmaster for 23 years and served as the international president of Toastmasters International in 2009-2010. Friends, in this episode, Gary and I talk about a host of topics, including service and community and importance of leadership, and uh, effective communication, and much more. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. So without further ado, let's welcome the one and only Gary Schmidt. So good morning, uh, Gary. Uh, welcome to the Wisdom of Friendship. I'm really excited that uh, you took the time to be on this program. And let me start off with how we uh, first got introduced through a common friend, Terry Beard. And uh, he was on the show earlier, and uh, he spoke volumes about your friendship and uh, what you're up to in uh, your leadership uh, domain. And and uh, I was really excited to have you on the show. So thank you again for taking the time. Thank you, Cal. I'm grateful to be with you and grateful that Terry introduced us. Terry, as you know, is such an amazing leader, entrepreneur, friend, and I'm just very blessed to have you both in my life. Thank you. Great. Excellent. And uh, one of the ways, uh, Gary, we kick off our show is by asking a guest a simple yet profound question, and that is, what's your favorite quotation or philosophy that you live by, and how have you applied it to your life? My favorite quote is from Yoda from the Star Wars movies, which is, do or do not, there is no try. Now that uh, your listeners may think, what a strange quote, but think about it. That is so true in life. We're either going to do something or we're not. And it's important that we, we speak our truth and speak that to others. So say, yes, I will do this, or no, I will not do this. And that is my quote. Of all the amazing quotes in the world, that's the one I live by, I hope to live by every day. I love it because I think it does a couple of things. That, that specifically that quote, what it does is it gives the opportunity to honor others and other respect others at the same time honoring ourselves and being uh, true to our word and i think uh, that's so great that that's one of your favorite quotes i love that quote by the way um, now for the benefit of the audience gary schmidt is the director of uh, public and government affairs for clack thomas county oregon and he's been also a toastmasters for 23 years and served as the international president of Toastmasters International in the year 2009-2010. And before we get into uh, your career as a public servant, uh, Gary, I'm curious about where did you grow up and how would you describe your childhood? In other words, what did your parents do and how did that shape your life? 
Yes, I grew up in Milwaukee, Oregon, which is a suburb of Portland, Oregon, and really a, a wonderfully amazing childhood. I had wonderful par- have wonderful parents, uh, siblings, very stable childhood, really nothing to complain about other than I was incredibly shy and introverted and didn't like communicating or talking to anybody. And I was just fine with that until I got older and realized that really is not a method to achieve my goals and dreams. Uh, But with that, I had a wonderful childhood. My parents, my mother, uh, stayed home to take care of her kids, which unfortunately is not possible for many parents today, but it was for my mother back when I was growing up. My father was in leadership and management roles in local small businesses here in the Portland area. And I learned a lot about life from them. They're still living. I'm blessed for that. And they continue to inspire me every day. So I had a very basic, idyllic, wonderful childhood. I can't complain. It helped make me the person I am today. <clears throat> That's so great, uh, Gary. And uh, so tell us about your story in terms of like what inspired you uh, to join Toastmasters? Was there a story behind it or is there... Was that, uh, do you recall your first day at Toastmasters or how did that come about for you? Oh, yes. As I mentioned, I was and still am. I'm an introvert. I'm proud to be an introvert. That's just how my brain works, how I think, how I draw energy from the universe. It's tough, though, as an introvert, especially if you want to work in politics and government, which was also my passion. Therefore, I studied political science in college. I was involved in student government and activities but I always felt uncomfortable because I didn't enjoy speaking and being in front of an audience. I had several people mention to me to go to the local Toastmasters Club. And quickly for the audience, Toastmasters, it's a worldwide nonprofit educational organization where women and men learn to be better communicators and better leaders. I applied for a job at the college I graduated from, Lewis and Clark College in Portland, Oregon, and they would not hire me because they felt I wasn't a good communicator. Can you believe that? My alma mater wouldn't hire me (laughs) for a job. One of my professors was on the interview panel. He recommended I join Toastmasters to improve my confidence. I, of course, ignored that and kept on applying for other jobs and would not get hired. I read a book by Dr. Joyce Brothers, and she wrote, join Toastmasters to help find a job. I still did not listen. A third mention was a high school friend of mine who told me, Gary, Toastmasters will change your life. She literally picked me up at my house and drove me to a Toastmasters club because I just didn't want to go. I went to the club meeting, and in the club you speak. That's part of the leadership you learn. And I was terrified, and I passed, which as a guest you can pass and not speak. So I didn't. I went home that night and thought, I am never joining this organization. Why would I ever do that? And then I remembered the quote that if you keep doing the same thing and expect a different result, that's the definition of insanity, right? And I thought, well, I have to do something different to find a job and improve my communication skills. I went back to that club, the Clackamas Stepping Stones in Milwaukee, Oregon, which I'm still a member of today, 23 (coughs) years later. And I did it. And I forced myself... And it changed my life. It gave me confidence. It improved my ability to speak better, more clearly, improved my leadership skills, all of that. And we can talk more about that later. But it simply opened up the door of possibility. Therefore, that single decision I made 23 years ago totally changed my life. And I'm 
glad that I walked in that door finally. Now, that is so great, Gary. And uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, Toastmasters International is truly a remarkable nonprofit organization uh, that makes a difference on a global scale. I mean, uh, uh, today it's got like more than 16,000 clubs in uh, more than 100 countries around the globe. And it just is incredible how people excuse me, uh, transform their lives in not only in terms of communication skills, but even leadership skills. And you've held several uh, leadership uh, positions uh, along the way with Toastmasters International before becoming uh, the president of the organization. Uh, And the other thing that I'm curious about, uh, Gary, is, you know, one of the things that you're passionate about is public service. And and where I'm going with that is, you know, we get oftentimes we get a lot of questions from our audiences. You know, how do we know what our calling is? How do we know what our passion is? And it seems like public service is something that you're truly passionate about. So what would you say to those people who are looking to find their calling, looking to find their passion? Any tips on that? Excellent question. To me, I think it really is listening to your heart. Your heart is telling you, is telling us exactly what we want, not only what we want, but what we need to hear, yet we're not always open to listening to it. I think the universe speaks to us constantly, yet we don't hear it, or we're not paying close enough attention. To me, it's what is in your heart, what what drives you, what gives you passion, what motivates you, what makes you want to get up in the morning and find a way to make that your life's work. Hopefully you can get paid for it. Although I know for me, Toastmasters is, a, is my volunteer life. I'm not paid for that, yet I love it because I can help transform people and while I'm improving my own life. And I bring that into my career in public service. That, that was my passion as a young person. I loved helping people and being involved in my community and volunteering. And I thought, in the public sector, that's that's the way to go. I can help make everyone's lives a little bit better by serving them. That was my calling to work in the public sector, and I'm grateful I've had the chance to do that now for my career. No, that is really great, and I like uh, your uh, suggestion and uh, recommendation about listening to your heart. It's it's truly one of the you know underrated skills that we have that people uh, often neglect that and it's i think being in tune with uh, who you are at the essence can open doors for opportunities and that's so great that you mentioned that uh, the other thing that i'm uh, curious about gary is when you look back at your life up until now and i'm sure you've had many accomplishments and uh, many uh, uh, achievements along the way but is there a moment that that was a turning point for you in your career, in your life, when life was never the same again after that point? Do you recall a moment like that? Absolutely. And we've really just talked about it. It was, for me, joining Toastmasters 23 years ago, February 2nd, 1995. I've remembered the date because it was such a momentous occasion in my life. Everything I owe in my life is because I chose on that date, February 2nd, 1995, to join that organization called Toastmasters. Everything, my career, I owe my career to that. Many of my friends, my professional business associates all tie back to that single decision on that date. I often look back and have looked back and wondered if I did not join Toastmasters, where would my life have gone instead? And I I am confident it would not have been in the place I am today 
if I had not joined? So really, that's an easy question. It was for me joining this organization called Toastmasters. Totally transformed my life. That's great. And moving on to another question that I'm also curious about is, you know, along your public service career, have there been any challenging moments or uh, moments that, you know, was regarded as a failure, but when you look back at it, it was one of the best opportunities that you've had in terms of like, you know, your favorite failure. And what I mean by that is that failure turned into a major success down the road. Uh, is there, can you recall anything like that uh, along your career or any you know, in uh, your personal journey or Toastmasters or anything like that? Absolutely, yes. Uh, many Multiple examples, but one I'll give is that really learning to work effectively with people, people of different backgrounds and different styles and different temperaments. I am honored that I get to work with elected officials in my career, and I've worked for the very best elected officials and some that are not as good. And I've learned that they are doing their very best. The public chose them, voted for them to be the leaders of their community. And my role as a staff member is to support them and help them achieve their goals. Even if I may personally disagree with their goals, that's not my job. My job is to implement their direction and their policy. And without going into specific details, in case they're listening, there were some challenging elected officials whom I worked for. And they tested me. And there were times I wanted to scream and and yell and run away or yell back at them. I never, ever did that because that's not professional. That's not my role. But it taught me how important it is to to center myself and to be calm in moments of adversity. Uh, Realize the the reason I'm here or, or doing this role, and that's to give and serve and to honor those whom were elected to lead. And so I just, I guess my answer is that it's dealing with all sorts of people and their styles and finding a way to work together, even when it's personally or professionally difficult. No, and I'm glad you mentioned that because, and it's not just public service or, and you know, uh, working for corporations or uh, any kind of uh, community uh, specifically, there is always going to be people that either agree or disagree with the point of views. And and I think it takes, as Aristotle said, you know, it, it's the mark of an intelligent mind to be able to uh, entertain a thought without necessarily agreeing or disagreeing with it. And, and I think uh, that brings up a question of leadership. And so what, what are some of the three to five leadership principles or that you have discovered along the way and that you've executed that contributed to your success? Like, is there anything that you kind of like follow? And one of the things I took away from your earlier share is, uh, you know, understanding that they are there to serve as well. They've been elected officials. I may not agree with them, but, you know, helping them support uh, the bigger cause. So, and and staying calm uh, along the way and not getting all rattled, uh, even if it makes you want to scream. But the the point is, what are some of the two or three or five leadership principles that you follow in your own personal life that has helped you uh, when dealing with situations like this? For me, it really comes down to just one, and that is the the ideal of servant leadership or service leadership. The, the term is interchangeable to me. I prefer the term servant leadership. I I define that as you are totally focused on being of service to other people, 
to an organization, to a community. And when you focus on serving others, it always, always comes back to you as an individual to help you achieve your personal goals. One of the, the best examples I learned that from, and the first person I worked for in my professional career was United States Senator Mark Hatfield from Oregon, an amazing, amazing public servant. I served in elected office for almost 40 years. He was always overwhelmingly voted back in office by Oregonians who respected him and, and the good work he did. Uh, he cared deeply about people. He always focused on the constituent, the, the citizen, the member of the public, helping them when they needed it, when they came to him for assistance. He cared about his staff. He took good care of us, and of course we in turn took good care of him. Uh, just an amazing example. And if I may quickly share a story about servant leadership I learned from him. When I first joined his staff, it was just after I joined Toastmasters. So as I mentioned, Toastmasters was that defining moment that changed my life, helped me find my career in public service, working for Senator Hatfield as my first job out of college. I was in Washington, D.C. for the first time visiting Senator Hatfield's staff, his office, because I worked in his Portland, Oregon office. And that was the same moment when Oregon's other U.S. senator had just been elected in a special election. And there was an installation ceremony for that new Oregon U.S. senator in Washington, D.C. I had mentioned to my colleagues, I would love to go to the Senate gallery to watch this, to see Oregon's other U.S. senator be installed with the oath of office. And I was told, no, there's no room there. That has been booked for months with people from Oregon coming to witness this ceremony. And I put it aside and thought, well, that's fine. I'm, I'm the receptionist, which that was my title. I was the receptionist in the senator's Portland office answering the telephone. I was thrilled. I was thrilled to have a job and working for one of my political idols. As I was doing my business in the Washington, D.C. office, about 30 minutes later, Senator Hatfield himself walked up to me and said, Mr. Schmidt, come with me. And I'd really not interacted with him at all at that point, and I was terrified. I thought, he's going to fire me. He's going to send me home. Why is he taking me away? And he just started asking me questions about my background, where I went to school, my family, uh, what it was like working in his Portland office. He totally put me at ease as we're walking down the halls of the Capitol until suddenly we were outside the Senate gallery doors and Senator Hadfield told the doorkeeper, which is the name of the person who watches the door, obviously, uh, would you please find a seat in the Senate gallery for Mr. Schmidt, a trusted member of my staff? And that blew my mind because I'd only worked for him about a month at that point and I was a trusted member of his staff. So I was in the Senate gallery, I saw all my political heroes in the Senate gallery uh, the Vice President of the United States at that time was Vice President Al Gore, because this was 1996, and he was administering the oath of office to Oregon's new U.S. Senator, Ron Wyden, and then suddenly I see Senator Hatfield walk in the Senate chamber door, out of breath, because he was escorting me to the gallery, and Al Senator Vice President Gore then said, now Senator Hatfield will deliver the welcoming speech to our new member of our body. And that also blew my mind because Senator Hatfield didn't tell me he was about to deliver a speech in front of all of his colleagues. And he was almost late to deliver that speech because he was escorting me to find a seat in the Senate gallery. 
So the point of the story is that Senator Hatfield found out what my goal was to be in that Senate gallery to watch this ceremony. He went out of his way to serve me. And in turn, I worked for him for two more years during his Senate term. And then 10 years after he retired, I worked for him in Oregon and I gave him my all. I gave my total loyalty and dedication to making him a success because I respected him, but really because at the start of my work with him, he did that one small thing to help me achieve my goal, which is to be in that Senate gallery. So to me, that's how I define servant leadership, totally focused on helping other people achieve their goals and dreams. And it all comes back to you. I love that story, and thank you for sharing that. It's so inspiring, and, and, and you know, one can uh, deduce so many lessons from just this uh, incredible share that you just uh, uh, shared with us. And and it's really a couple of things that stand out. One is the ability to listen uh, to your associates and finding out what their goals are, and that's such a critical skill that he displayed. And secondly, uh, putting you at ease, uh, even though that, that was like, you know, your first few months into the job and then, uh, you know, not treating you as an inferior or, you know, treating you as an equal and having you, uh, escort you all the way into, uh, you know, your dream setting there. And, uh, that's such a great, remarkable way of uh, displaying servant leadership. Uh, and obviously, uh, he's played a big role as a mentor, I can tell, a role model for you in your career. Uh, and talking about that, who are your other mentors growing up? Uh, is there anybody that comes to mind that you looked up to growing up that fascinated you? And, and who inspires you today in your profession and why? Yes, uh, I have read something to start answering your question. I read something online, probably been online for decades, but it said, name the last five World, Cheery, World Series champions, name the last five Best Actress Academy Award winners, uh, name the last five Nobel Peace Prize winners. And probably most of us have no idea, or maybe can answer one or two. But if you answer, name your first, name your grade school teachers, probably all of us can answer that. So my answer to your question is my mentors growing up were my teachers in grade school and junior high school and high school, my parents, of course, my professors in college, uh, Senator Mark Hatfield and U.S. Senator Gordon Smith, both whom I had the chance to work with. So for me, it's all local, people who directly impacted me, who I, I worked with or witnessed or had a chance to be in their presence. Not as much people I see on the world stage or the national stage, although there are, there are of course, politicians I admire in the U.S. and around the world. But mostly for me, it's, it's people who are directly have touched or impacted my life. Uh, Toastmaster leaders, of course, uh, who inspired me, encouraged me, gave me that gentle push, I call it, to help me move forward when I didn't have the confidence to do it for myself. So those are the people that make a difference. And really, to me, that's what I try to do every day, is realize I'm an example to other people. Certainly in Toastmasters, as a past international president, when I go to the international conventions every year, um, I, I be as visible as I can be. I talk to as many people as I can. I, I encourage people as best that I can because people did that for me, and it meant a huge difference in my life when I had that encouragement. I, I try to do, I'll use the Yoda quote, I do that at my work. I don't try, I do. At my work, I'm, I 
I'm an example to my not only my employees that work for me, but others in the county where I work. I dress professionally. I show up on time. I meet my commitments. All to say is that I think mentor mentorship is both formal and informal, and we each are examples to each other, and we owe that to our our professions and our personal lives to be our very best to help inspire others to be their very best. No, that's fantastic, and I really like it. Um, so switching gears here, and Gary, I wanted to ask you about uh, uh, what are your favorite hobbies and interests? Uh, what do you do when you're not uh, engaged in public service and uh, serving the community? Yes, that does take a lot of time, my work and my Toastmasters volunteerism, yet I still enjoy uh, Star Wars. So I love the movies, the <laughs> books, everything related to the Star Wars movies. I'm, I'm grateful that the Walt Disney Corporation purchased the rights to that property because now it will continue forever. I also enjoy Disneyland, Disney World. My goal is to go to all the Disney parks around the world at some point. I've been to three so far. And I love to read, which I also think is a key to growth as a leader, uh, to read as much as possible. And for me, I actually like the physical paper books. I know it's easier, especially when we travel, to have a digital uh, copy, but I, al- I always bring a physical book because I think the, the touching the page, turning the page, taking the time to go back is so key to learn as a reader. Therefore, I like physical books when I read. Talking about books, uh, what books have you gifted or reread over the years? Any uh, particular books that you would recommend for our audience? Yes, my absolute favorite is The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho. Oh, that's a great book. Fantastic, fantastic book about following and achieving your dreams. I, I give it out as gifts all the time. I read it at least once a year. It's a fantastic book. No, that is great. And I think uh, one of the quotes in that book, and I remember uh, listening to one of his interviews, I believe it was with Oprah, and he said it's really about living your personal legend. And I think one particular quote that he mentioned in that interview was, it kind of like stuck with me. And he said something to the, uh, I'm trying to paraphrase here, but he said something like, uh, you know, when you don't fear the unknown, uh, the unknown will be kind to you, and it's really about stepping outside your comfort zone. Yeah. And uh, that's that's such a great book, and we'll include this in our show notes for the audience. Uh, the other question that comes up, uh, Gary, is you know you've had uh, this remarkable career, and you know experienced the ebb and flow of life. Now, what would you say is your definition of a happy life, or a successful life, or a good life? For me, it's, it's giving back to others, being of service to others, because really it, all, it always comes back to you. I, I know I've said that already, but it, it's so, so very true. And I've witnessed that in my work life and my Toastmasters life. Uh, but it, it's giving to others, being of service, and it always comes back to support whatever your goals and dreams are as well. So it's just being, living your life as best as you can. Uh, in an attitude of, of service, of giving to others. And really that, I mean, it, why would you not want to live that way? I guess I don't understand. But to me, that's kind of my model of life, and, and I think that what is what leads to a successful and effective life. No, it's absolutely correct. And, and it's something that 
<clears throat> it takes a paradigm shift, Gary, and I can I can relate to what you're saying. I mean, for me personally too, there was a phase of my career or my life where the focus was inwards. It was all about me and what I wanted to accomplish, and and I still do. It's not that it's wrong or anything like that, but it's the you know when that shift happens is about what you can contribute and what you can give back. I think the whole dynamic and how the entire uh, rate of success just changes completely. I mean, it's, it's such a privilege to make a difference and make a contribution because at the end of the day, it's really uh, truly about, you know, what kind of a message and what kind of a leadership and a legacy that you want to leave behind. And I think it really starts with uh, making a difference in, in, in small ways and it doesn't have to be on a grand scale. And I totally, totally agree with what you're just saying about making a difference and serving the public. Uh, and here's a question uh, for you. And let's say this is a you know hypothetical time machine. Let's say if you could go back in time and talk to your young self, your 19-year-old self, uh, what advice would you give him? Two pieces of advice. First is join Toastmasters sooner. <laughs> uh, I joined when I was 24 years old, and if and you can be 18 years old is the minimum. I would have joined at 18 if I had known about it. But really, the second one is to relax. It will all be okay. <laughs> relax. It will all be okay. I was a very, very anxious young man. When I graduated college, I was so worried about finding a job and making my mark and getting out in the world and I overthought things and I overstressed myself and it all worked out and the path I'm, I'm on today I'm generally where I wanted to be which is working in politics and government but it's not exactly where I thought I'd be when I was 22 years old I'm in a better place than I thought I would be because the path will change and we have to be flexible uh, the Robert Frost poem, two paths diverged in a yellow wood. I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. I love that poem. I love that, that quote in the poem. And that's so true. I tell young people today when I have a chance to mentor them that very thing. Relax. It will all be okay. Now, I don't mean sit back and party and don't worry about things, but don't be so overwrought about how will this work out? Do I have to have it all planned out to the, mi the minute detail? No, you don't. Have a general goal, know the direction you want to head, set yourself up to succeed, and then follow the path that, that comes before you. No, it's very inspiring, and thank you for sharing that. Uh, shifting gears here and moving on to the next section, and these are some of the questions we have received from the audience, and I wanted to kind of touch upon that. Uh, we may not be able to get through all of them, but uh, definitely uh, try to address uh, as much as we can here. So the first question is... <clears throat> uh, why does public service matters, and what would you say to someone to who is reluctant uh, to take on public service, and uh, in the sense that you know they are so caught up in their own dynamic at work and family life that they don't seem to have the time to make a difference out there in the community. So, what would your answer be to that? Why does public service matter as a citizen of this country and this nation? I. Really, the, the, the most important public service we all engage in is voting, voting. And in Oregon, where I live, we just had our, our primary election is in the month of May, and we had one of the lowest voter turnouts in Oregon history this month during our statewide election. And my, my thought is, well, why would anyone complain that they don't like how government is run, yet they won't vote? 
And in Oregon, it's all by mail. The ballot is by mail. So it's so easy to vote, yet we had the lowest voter turnout ever. So that's my first advice to anyone is vote. We have the right, the duty to vote. And if we don't express our views at the ballot box, then we have no right to complain about anything. And the person or the, can't, the issue we vote for may not be successful, but you've let your voice be heard. So that's the first piece of advice. But second is that, you know, our communities and our, our, our life, we live, where we live, the cities or the counties or the state, there are policies that affect us. And we should have a voice in how those policies are created and how they're implemented. And we are all busy, all of us, with our families and our, and our professions. Yet it doesn't take a lot of time or a lot of commitment to be involved in our communities. So again, if you want to make things better or you want to change something, then speak up and contribute and help. And you can do such simple things as sending an email to your local city council with your opinion on a policy they may be considering or showing up to testify at a city council meeting or serving on an advisory board for your local city or county. We have to step up to make our communities better, especially if we're not satisfied with what we're seeing in our communities. We have to speak up and step up and do something to make our, our communities a better place to live and work and to play. And if not for ourselves, for our children, so it's a better life for them. So obviously I'm passionate about this. Um, we can find the time. You can find the time if it's important enough to you. And I offer it should be because we have to make our communities better for ourselves and for our future generations. No, that's very inspiring. And thank you for sharing that. <clears throat> the other question is, uh, what's the best piece of advice you have received uh, uh, in your life and in your career along the way of public service? absolute best piece of advice is it's okay to fail it's okay to fail and that's a very tough lesson to learn especially for me but it's okay to make a mistake it's okay to fail really that in my view is where we learn we learn most from failure than from success i know that sounds strange but to me a failure is not final uh, actually someone else said that i forget who failure is not final Failure is a chance to help us understand that method didn't work. Let's try another method to ultimately achieve success. The successes I've achieved in my life rarely were first out of the gate. It's because I failed on the first or second or 50th attempt, but I was persistent. That's another piece of advice. Persistence. Never, ever give up. Never give up. But it's okay to fail. I've learned that when I was in high school in student council the principal, uh, I was struggling to get, uh, we were doing a school carnival and we had paid for a dunk tank and no student or teacher would volunteer to be in the dunk tank. And I, we had paid a deposit and I was panicked. And I asked the principal, what do I do? What do I do? He said, Gary, it's okay to fail. Let's just not have, we'll have no one do the dunk tank. It's, it was only like a hundred bucks, not that expensive, although I thought it was. He said, I have the, the, the school has the money. We'll pay for it. It's okay to fail. And that scared me, but I did. We didn't have a dunk tank. The world did not end. And then we learned as a planning committee, okay, we're not going to have a dunk tank next year. But 
I learned that valuable lesson in high school, and I've never forgotten. It's okay to fail. It's okay to make a mistake. Those are the valuable lessons we learn to have a success the next time. No, I like that analogy. And it's really failure is never uh, the final uh, destination. It's always uh, the way to view it is feedback. It uh, makes you, gives you valuable feedback so that uh, for the next time you try, uh, you can add uh, the lessons learned and make it even better in the next iteration. So, no, that's such a good point. Um, the other thing that uh, comes up here is about execution. With so much of political gridlock and polarity and uh you know, where, where people have such a differing point of views in our public domain. <clears throat> and this is really the question about execution. What would you suggest that uh, political leaders and people in public service do to ensure that the strategic plans and policies actually become reality? What are your, what's been your experience and what would you say that needs to be done? Yes, in, in public service, especially in public agencies there there is a bureaucracy I, I admit that it's not a secret it's no surprise to anyone listening there is a bureaucracy within government and hear me out here I believe that that is good because it means that people and divisions and interests have to work together to get the very best result and that means you have to work with another, uh, perspective or another opinion, which may not be your own, to work together to get the very best possible result. That takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. Uh, that's why it's important to let the bureaucracy help achieve a better outcome. Now, the, the challenge with bureaucracy is things can take forever and then disappear. And that's the danger. So bureaucracy is helpful as far as getting all the perspectives around the table uh, and divisions and, and interests to come together, to come to a good, solid decision and conclusion. But then, and this is my advice to people in public service and politics, is you have to deliver. You have to focus to push through that outcome. You can't let things disappear within the bowels of government, which it will <laughs> – uh, not purposefully, I believe, but it will because there's so many hoops to jump through, so many divisions and departments. Uh, but get everyone involved, everyone around the table, come to the best possible decision and outcome, and then implement it, and then have a deadline to make it happen. So that, that really is what I've witnessed in my career. Uh, working in a local government, when I first came to the county where I work now, it took almost one year to implement a social media policy and that was the role of my department, the communications department, to put together a social media policy. It took a year. And I thought, why is this taking so long? Because I had to get multiple county departments involved, the legal department, the budget department, administration, human resources. And then as soon as we had a plan, someone had left or there was a new member of the team and we had to start over. And I was so frustrated. And my boss at the time taught me, Gary, be an entrepreneur. I thought, I'm not in business. She goes, no, be an entrepreneur in the public sector. And that totally changed my perspective. And I do that today. I'm an entrepreneur in the public sector. I run my department like a business, even though I'm working within a bureaucratic environment. And I believe we're getting things done. So I've, I've answered your question in multiple ways. But it is bureaucracy can be good, but we have to focus and deliver on results and make sure that we're being entrepreneurial within the public sector environment. 
No, that is definitely a creative take. And I like that about, uh, you know, it's uh, being a little, uh, having that entrepreneurial uh, view to uh, execution because then you can kind of actually measure your progress and uh, make the changes needed along the way so that you can actually deliver the results. Now, that's really a good point. Uh, now, the other question and kind of like a perfect segue into uh, the other part of your career, and this is uh, speaking, because most of our listeners are professional speakers as well as uh, corporate executives who have to deal with communication on a day-to-day basis, either uh, making a pitch to venture capitalists or angel investors or doing a professional uh, uh, speaking engagement. And I know that uh, you've also been a speech writer uh, as well as, uh, you know, 23 years and counting with Toastmasters International. So I want to kind of get into uh, the art of public speaking. And so my first question to you is, what would you say from your experience as the art of creating an impactful speech and delivering a message uh, that uh, leaves people uh, as if, you know, felt that it was memorable for them? Yes. Uh, first, uh, there's a great quote by Mark Twain and I, uh, I'm not exact here, but it takes me two weeks to prepare a good impromptu speech, which means (laughs) be prepared. So my advice is be prepared. As a speaker, always be prepared. And there are speakers who are very talented, speaking extemporaneously. They can just go without any preparation and talk eloquently. And that's fantastic. And especially to people who feel that's their talent, you still have to be prepared. Don't wing it even no matter how talented you may be. So that means to me, know your audience, know what your message is, know what your desired outcome is, prepare for that, and do it in a way that engages and connects with the audience immediately. So for me, I'm very creative in my speeches. I I play videos, I show uh, PowerPoints, I sing, I have props. I do that to get the audience's attention. And then once I get their attention, I give them my message and help deliver home my point. So I I am very creative in my delivery and my uh, message. That's what works for me. Uh, I encourage uh, speakers to consider how can I best connect with the audience and do that. And it will change depending who your audience is. The key is to be prepared. Go in knowing who your audience is, what your point is, what your outcome you hope to achieve is, and then deliver in a creative, unique way that connects immediately with the audience. No, that's great. So just to summarize, one, no matter how good of a speaker you are, do not wing it. Be prepared. and Do your research so that you know what your who your audience is and know what your desired outcome is. And then uh, be creative in your deliveries so that you can get their attention and then deliver the message. And... Uh, uh, that's uh, that. That does, does that sum up right? Yes, absolutely. Okay, cool, excellent. That's really awesome. Uh, moving on to the next section, uh, Gary, and this is uh, the rapid fire round, and it's uh, really a fun round where I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions. It's the first response that comes to your mind, and uh, so my first question to you is: Are you ready? I'm ready. Yes. All right. So my first question to you, Gary, is: What is who is your favorite music band? Uh, Mozart. that's not the answer you were expecting was it no i was not i love all types of music i love all types of music 
Uh, classical music really calms me down. I listen to it before and after work uh, to help get my mind in the right mindset. And so Mozart is one of the best composers of all time. So well, I would agree. Uh, definitely classical. Um, what one thing uh, you can do that might surprise other people? I am pretty good at... at uh, being able to speak foreign languages very quickly, although I immediately forget them when I'm outside that country. Oh, wow. That's, How's that? <laughs> well, that's uh, incredible. That's fascinating. That's awesome. Uh, if you could be successful in another profession besides public service, which would you choose? A chef. I love to eat. And if I could cook amazing meals to make other people happy, to be of service, that would be fantastic. Excellent. And then uh, if you could have witnessed one event in history, what would that be? Wow. Wow, wow, that's an excellent question. I don't know why, but it was coming to mind is to be there at Abraham Lincoln's second inaugural. (laughs) I have no idea why that came into my mind. I, I really, that's going back to the mentor question. Of course, I didn't live at the time of he he did, but I learned so much from Abraham Lincoln, his leadership, how he dealt with such adversity. There's some amazing biographies written about him, Uh, a fantastic person who changed the course of history in our nation. And his second inaugural was one of the most um, impressive of a presidential inauguration speeches. So to be at his second inaugural would be a moment in history I'd love to be at. That's great. Uh, the next one is, uh, what are the five most important things in life, according to you? Oh, boy. Uh, being of service to others, uh, giving back to your community, um, making the world a better place than you found it, um, having ch- taking, taking care of children, having children in your life, whether they're yours or someone else's, to mentor them, uh, experience life through a child's eyes, to be a part of their life, and... Wow, to read as much as possible to help improve your life. That's great. And then uh, the final question within the rapid fire round, and that is if you could have any message of your choice on a billboard, what would that be? Serve others. Mm. Right there. Serve others. Uh, Great. Excellent. And then uh, I just have final three questions for you. And uh, Gary, the first one is what is your current uh, personal or business or career passion project and what are you looking forward to in the next six months to a year from now right now for my profession again i work in local government here in oregon and my goals are to help my elected officials be effective and successful to help the the public whom i serve as well to make to know that their their goals their desires are being met through local local policies and to make the community i live a better place so I do that through my professional work, I hope, every day. And quickly in my, my Toastmasters world, I'm, I'm grateful and honored that I mentor many people in Toastmasters, and I hope that that is helping them be effective and successful in their leadership journeys, which, again, as I mentioned, they are examples to others as well. So it keeps being passed along and passed down. Uh, so maybe the one or two people I'm able to help improve their lives, they are in turn helping one or two other people, and it exponentially changes so that hundreds of maybe thousands of people are being touched by improving their lives in Toastmasters. 
That's great. Uh, the next question is, what are three things you're grateful for in life? I'm grateful for my parents and the wonderful example and um, really the life they gave to me uh, for the wonderful mentors in my life who've helped inspire me and grow me to the person I am today. And for really the, being alive, it sounds trite, but to be alive at this moment in time in, in our history. This is, this is a tough time in our nation's history. Politics is so divisive. But as I've talked about, if, if we each contribute and make our own communities better, then that is going to make the world better. Just one, one person, one moment at a time. No, that's great. I uh, couldn't agree with you anymore. This has been fantastic. Uh, so I want to acknowledge you, Gary, for a few things. One is, what a remarkable uh, career that you've led and public service. I mean, you're really an example of what servant leadership really means. And it's, uh, you know, you just, uh, I mean, listening to you talk about serving is so inspiring that, uh, you know, it's it's like, I think, uh, it's, I think it should become everyone's uh, number one priority about giving back and serving because that's where the juice of life is and that's where the joy is. And you inspire that in people. So thank you for being you. Thank you, Cal, very much. And one final question, and this is how we wrap up all our interviews, Gary, and that is, why do you think people should listen to the wisdom of friends? We learn so much by other people's example, their stories, their life. Cal, you have provided such an amazing service to, to everyone who has the, the honor of listening to the programs that you put together. And really, the, the most value we can get is by I mean, reading books, of course, going to seminars, but by listening to Wisdom of Friends and the many leaders and world-changing people you have on your programs, it changes the world. And we can pick up a tip or an idea or a lesson that we may want to implement and change our lives and our communities as well. So thank you, Cal, for all you do to make the world a better place because you absolutely do that through Wisdom of Friends. Thank you, Gary. I truly appreciate that. And again, I uh, thank you for your time and uh, taking the time to be on this program this morning. I enjoyed our conversation immensely. And for everybody listening, with that, we'll wrap it up. And if you like what you heard, please share. Don't be shy. Thanks for listening to the Wisdom of Friends show with Cal Aras. If you enjoyed today's show, head over to wisdomoffriends.net to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover our fantastic bonus content. We hope you'll pass along our web address, wisdomoffriends.net, to your friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out our archives section on the website for previous episodes and subscribe on iTunes, rate and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Thank Thank you. you. This has been a Seven Symphonies production. Join us next time for another edition of The Wisdom of Friends.